Welcome to Fully Yours, a podcast about food, the sacred, and ordinary moments of extraordinary belonging. This is Eva. And this is Christy. And together with our friend Chloe, we are Fully Yours. The three of us came together in graduate school and recognized a shared passion for bread straight from the oven, the power of meals to tell the truth in love and community. Every two weeks, we share an episode digging into the world of food and spirituality, and we are humbled to have you join us at this cross-country table today. We're shifting gears a bit today, a little bit away from talking about food explicitly, and we're going to talk about something that is daunting and urgent and also full of hope. We're still connecting with our theme of time that we've been exploring this season, but digging a little bit more specifically into the topic of ecological justice um, and climate change. So we're going to discuss some of the connections between climate change and faith practices and social movements and of course, a little bit about food. And we're delighted to have the Reverend Mariama White Hammond as our guest today. Reverend White Hammond is a founding pastor at the New Roots AME Church in Dorchester, Massachusetts. She is an advocate for ecological and social justice and spirit-filled organizing. She is a sought-after speaker. She's also the former director of Boston's Project Hip Hop and she's held numerous leadership positions related to faith and justice. She's also an, an amazing knitter, and she makes delicious <laughs> jam, um, and she's all around very incredible. Um, we're also really delighted to call her friend um, and to say that we went to seminary with her. So, Mariama, thank you so much for being with us. It's great to be here. So to start, just to get us going, we want to ask you just about what, what you're up to right now, the work that you're doing, the communities you're a part of. Yeah, any, anywhere you want to start with that. Yeah, yeah. So I feel like, you know, I'm just, I'm trying to do what God has called me to. And um, the truth about that is, you know, probably throughout most of my life, that's never like fit neatly in a box. So I am pastoring a church plant. We are not even one years old. We'll celebrate one year the first Sunday in October. Um, and that just, I, I love and it totally fills my heart. And I, I feel honored and blessed to um, be part of um, building that community with a, a great group of folks. Um, I also am continuing to do a lot of the ecological justice work that I've been doing. Um, everything from, you know, speaking in neighborhoods and, and, and sort of working with folks who do community gardening, all the way to advocating for um, solar panel legislation, particularly uh, legislation that supports access for uh, low and moderate income people. And um, I, in my time, I also do speak on social justice and other sets of things. And I also do consulting um, around economic inclusion and some other stuff. So like the truth is, you know, every six months, my, my uh, life shifts maybe a little bit or some new project comes in and um, I pray about it and I just follow the direction that God is taking me. So, mm. yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. I mean, even being in classes with you, I definitely looked up to the things that you were doing and 
um, it's just incredible. And, and as we look over your biography and all the things that you've done, um, we're just wondering like what, what brought you to the work that you do? Um, what are some of the important parts of your story that have brought you to where you are today? Yeah, so it's interesting because when people hear about what I do, they go, you know, I can't imagine how you do so much different stuff. Like, um, they, I've done work around immigration and helped my previous congregation to start a sanctuary ministry, um, which takes in folks who are in danger of deportation. And, um, mm. you know, I don't see them all as separate. Mm. Like, for me, my sort of guiding idea is that God is calling us to a new way. And truthfully, God has been calling us to a new way uh, since Jesus came and was like, hey, I'm a new way of <laughs> doing things. Um, you know, but I think that, I, you know, for me, the climate reality means we've got a little bit more of a deadline than usual to wake up and get about that new way. Mm. Um, and so for me, it's all connected. Um, back to the simple prayer principle of loving God with all our heart and loving our neighbor as ourselves. And like, if we really, really try to do that, I mean, it would manifest in so many ways from how we handle immigration to how we grow our food to, you know, like for me, living that principle, is just so all encompassing. So, mm -hmm. so when people ask me like, what am I doing? I really feel like I'm trying to live that principle in every area of my life. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to call out that like, we can do better. You know, I, one of the things that saddens me is, um, how rarely, um, I see people of faith saying, no, 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 we can do better. Like mm -hmm. how limited our thinking is about what we can afford and what is practical. And I'm just kind of like, I serve this amazing God who has transformed my life. I've seen transform people around me. I believe is capable of doing even more than I can imagine. I kind of feel like it's our job as people of faith to say, you know, don't be shallow in your thinking. Don't be limited in your perspective. God is able to do so much more than what we would even ask or imagine. And that means like literally setting captives free, like literally setting mm. people, breaking, freeing people from prison, freeing people from addiction, um, literally reordering our economic system so we can afford the things that make sense. Um, so yeah, so I mean, yeah, it works out in lots of very practical ways. I am at the state house advocating on, you know, renewable energy and, I am in the streets sometimes protesting around immigration and I work with young people around depression and mental health. I mean, the way it manifests, um, yes, it, it moves in lots of different arenas. But for me, again, it is deeply all connected to the belief that we can love God with all our hearts. We can love our neighbor. And that if we were to do that, the world we we would live in is beyond even our imagination. And mm -hmm. I kind of want to live in that. And so I'm, I'm doing the best I can <laughs> yeah. to try to make that happen. Yeah, that's, that's really powerful. And that, that sense of interconnectedness is so important. Um, and I think so often like in church communities or even just more broadly in our culture, we tend to kind of put, we just silo issues and we silo ourselves from communities. And, um, so I just think you have, you've always embodied that really powerful, 
um, I mean, just your words all encompassing, I think just are really important. Um, and one thing I really love about things that I've heard you share, um, and that's part of what we read about your bio is grounding your sense of like social movements in particular, Mm -hmm. um, in a sense of the, the movement of the Holy spirit. Um, so I wondered if you could talk a little bit more about that. And I think you're already, you're already there. You're already getting there, but yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I grew up in a charismatic tradition, which I didn't know was like any different than anybody else until, you know, as I got older and I visited some other places, I'm like, oh, everybody doesn't believe <laughs> in the movement <laughs> of the Holy Spirit, at least not in the same way. Um, and for me, as I've studied more and more about the Holy Spirit, for, for those who know, I know, I, I call the Holy Spirit she, um, because um, her... Uh, name in the and the Hebrew scriptures uh, the ruach is a feminine word in Hebrew yes um, and it. so and I was later on in studying found out that there was a tradition in the Christian tradition where she was called she mm. and that changed um, at the same time that there were some moves to de-emphasize the role of women in the church um, mm-hmm. no surprise that those two things came at the same time um, <laughs> but I think one of the reasons I love um, really thinking about and moving with the Holy Spirit is I think of the Holy Spirit as like a rushing wind, that the Holy Spirit is destabilizing in a good way. She says like, no, 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 no. I'm not, when I'm here, it's not going to just stay the same way. You will be changed. You will be transformed. And when the Holy Spirit comes up, I think of that moment in, in the upper room with the disciples where they're suddenly able to speak in languages they don't even understand, mm-hmm. where people are drawn um, who probably would never hang out with each other. Um, and the idea of the Holy Spirit being present at creation and being, you know, the idea that God spoke and the Ruach, the Holy Spirit, manifested what we think of as creation. And so, you know, this idea of amazing creativity is one of the things that I love about the Holy Spirit. The idea that she's like, you haven't seen anything yet. Let me show (laughs) you what's possible. And that within that, we start finding people and places and communities that usually would not be together beginning to find Um, unity, beginning to find common cause, and that that sense that the Holy Spirit really um, creates opportunities for connections that we usually may not be be ready for. And so, um, and finally, I think a lot about the importance that the Holy Spirit mixes things up, because I, at least my own lived experience, um, transformation rarely comes the way I want it to. It's not like, I joke about this all the time, sometimes when I pray about something, I say, you know, God, I want to be honest, this is what I want. And I kind of would like you to do it this way, but nonetheless, your will be done. And usually when I say your will be done, it's an admission a re- that God rarely does things the way I would like. <laughs> like sometimes you pray for an outcome and you would like it to come, you imagine that it's coming a certain way. And then you're in this totally different situation. And then you're like, oh, there's that outcome. Guess I kind of prayed for that. You know, like Mm -hmm. I think about it in this moment, you know, I have desired an awakening for probably almost my whole life. Um, 
I think the truth is that Donald Trump has helped to bring some of that awakening. Now, it's definitely not what I prayed for. I'll just be very honest for me personally. This is not the package that I was hoping for that to come in. But I, I have to be honest. I see people waking up and getting active and asking themselves some tough questions that they weren't asking before. And so, again, I am by no means saying God wanted him to win. I think that's a whole, you know, I don't go into that territory. But I am thankful for the awakening that's coming and the realization that a lot of times the things I hope for in the world don't come in the packages. Um, I'd like them to come in. And so I love the Holy Spirit, even as, you know, she can knock me off my feet some of the time and take me in directions Mm -hmm. I wouldn't want to and make me end up in conversations and relationship with people that I, you know, I don't know if I really want to hang out with those people. And yet, um, you know, that's, that's what I've experienced. And so I tell people all the time, you know, I, I hear people praying for the Holy Spirit to show up. And my sense is the true move of the Holy Spirit is I say, where are you? And I seek out where she is moving. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I, when I show up in those places and spaces, I am transformed and not the other way around. Not like, hey, Holy Spirit, you show up where I am and do what I would like you to do in these four walls of this congregation at this time of day. My experience is mm-hmm. that I have to um, be willing to push out into places I may not want to go to people I might not necessarily you know, think of first. Mm-hmm. And that's where I find the Holy Spirit doing powerful work, mm-hmm. not just to transform others but really to shift me, to shift my thinking, um, to make me more ready for what the kingdom of God will look like and, and the way it's manifesting in the world. Um, so I, I love to talk about her and what she does in my life and um, how thankful I am to be in relationship, even when um, that relationship can be trying sometimes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the interesting things that you're pointing towards is transformation. And I think one of the most difficult parts about transformation is that sometimes it doesn't happen overnight. Sometimes it does. <laughs> I mean, yep. like there's there are some real incredible things that can happen overnight, but there are other things that take so much time. And, and, you know, when we talk about climate change, especially over the past couple of years, um, it's often in reference to how quickly we as humans need to act to prevent mm-hmm. the worst possible effects. I mean, it's, it's also interesting that perhaps to some extent, our broken relationship with time in terms of mm. like how efficient we need to become according to this world, um, you know, those sorts of things, all of that has contributed to climate change. And, and I'm curious about your thoughts on this in terms of time and transformation and the things that need to be done to get us to a better place. Mm. Yeah. I mean, you raise the sun. I don't know if you all have highlighted, um, Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel's book, The Sabbath. I um, would read it. So good. Oh, yeah. it is so, so great. Good. I mean, yes. One of the I things I underlined that, every line in that book. <laughs> oh, that book is so amazing. And he he basically says, you know, we as humans are always trading time for money. Mm-hmm. Money is this thing we've created. It's a piece of paper. It means something to us because we've all decided together that it means something. Right. And we're constantly you know, lusting after that, that piece of paper and the resources that come along with it. And what he says is that the point of the Sabbath is that for one day, 
we remember that time is a gift from God. Not a single one of us can create it. We cannot slow it down. We cannot speed it up. That, that time itself is a gift from God. And, mm. and that we take one day where we don't trade it for anything, where we just sit with it. And I remember reading that book. And I mean, after that, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to, and I'm going to admit that I have not done as much Sabbath keeping as I, I would like. But, um, you know, one of the whole pieces around climate change is the reality that we have um, chosen to fuel our economy on really, you know, fossil fuels are dead plants and animals, they're decay. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and we've been willing um, to work ourselves to death and to fuel ourselves on death um, mm-hmm. to get to some place that I'm just not really sure where it ever stops. Yeah. Will we ever be satisfied? Mm-hmm. You know, for me, I look at the world and I, I think we have three crises that are simultaneously happening, but they're so connected. So we have this climate crisis, this idea that like, if we don't slow down, we're gonna like burn ourselves up. And people talk about like saving the planet. This is not about saving the planet. The planet will survive in some form or another. It's about whether or not the planet will continue to be hospitable to us. Will we be able to survive? Will we be able to make it through the next cyclone and through the next, you know, loss of, of, coastline and through the next heat wave can can we as human beings survive that that's what we're really talking about and all of the other species who we have already been sacrificing but who will continue to be sacrificed under a warming planet Mm -hmm. the second crisis is the sort of growing inequality in the world Mm -hmm. and the idea that some people can you know like you know, 5% of the people can control 50% of the wealth, right? That's not sustainable. And, and quite frankly, it's just ungodly in my, my opinion. Um, and not just my opinion, based on what the Bible says, um, that kind of wealth and that kind of con- concentration of wealth um, is a problem and, and clearly unsustainable. But then I think the third thing is this deep um, disconnection that we feel the, the dearth of community, the way that our communities are getting weaker because of the globalization we're experiencing. Mm-hmm. And so you have, you know, people who feel like they need to go out and shoot a bunch of people to be seen. Mm-hmm. People who suicide rates going up. Um, so many different instances where you can palpably feel the loneliness and the disregard for other human beings, our lack of love for one another, and our our deep sense of isolation. I think all three of those things are just from a deep misordering of our priorities and a lack of understanding of why we are here. Hmm. We are here to love God and love one another. That's it. All the rest of it is fluff. All the rest of it is a means to do that, to be in relationship um, with the other species on this planet, to be in relationship with our own children, to be uh, able to take the time to just stop and breathe. Hmm. These are the gifts of life. 
And we've decided that a whole bunch of other things are so important that we're willing to sacrifice this. And I think about it all the time, like no other animal is confused about the fact that their number one priority is to the next generation. You, you know, a mama bear and a mama cockroach and a mama, whatever. They all protect their young. Mm. We're the only species that seems to think it's okay to, to steal from our children and to leave them a potentially uninhabitable planet. Yeah. What else is more important? When people say like, we can't afford it, what, what else is more important? Right. And the funny thing to me is how many of those people will also be fighting for unborn children while leaving them a world that they won't be able to survive in. I I just don't understand it. And so this sense that we've lost, we've lost touch with the things that really matter is at the heart of it. Um, You know, when people say, oh, we can't afford these immigrants, but if God tells us to welcome the stranger, then we can't not afford. Like at the end of the day, who will judge you and how will you, you know, on your deathbed, what will you want to be known for? I'm just not clear. And I think we have a society that unfortunately um, prevents us from focusing on the big picture questions that matter and get us caught up in a lot of, you know, a soundbite here and a campaign there. Um, and, and the big picture is sort of recedes into the distance and becomes uh, less important. And so I think, you know, again, this period of awakening I've always hoped for, both in my own soul and among us, is sort of a real focus on what really matters um, and making the time for those things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, there's so much good, rich stuff in what you've said. And I think that um, just such a, such an opportunity we have and such a responsibility and the urgency we have to, help us remember who we are. And I think there's so many ways to do that. Um, And I think, you know, as part of our work with this podcast and then just in our own lives, um, at least for me, and I know this is true for Christy, I'm going to speak for you, Christy, (laughs) but I'll let you talk too. Um, You know, food plays a really powerful role in that. And for me, a lot of that is connected to the story of the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not its not this kind of warm, fuzzy, like, table experience. Like, there was real suffering and betrayal at that table. And, like, it was a table of transformation. And, um, yeah, so anyway, that's sort of, like, an image that I think I come back to when I think about this role of transformation. And, um yeah, and it's so easy, I think, to get caught between, like, well, there's, like, advocacy and organizing and justice movements over here, and then there's, like, me on the other side. And I just think that it's way more interconnected than we sort of let ourselves see or that we make space for, like, in both our public spaces and our mm-hmm. congregations and so on and so forth. So I guess I'm curious, like, maybe in your particular congregational context or communities that you've worked with, um, what are some, I don't know, what are some like practices or some things that are life-giving that help people remember who they are 
and yeah. maybe that has to do with food maybe it doesn't but yeah just like I guess what are some examples that come to mind for you well so it's August and our uh, we started a new tradition because honestly anything we do is a new tradition since we're such a young congregation <laughs> um, and we decided that August we would have church in nature mm-hmm. and so our first Sunday this month we met at the Nightingale Community Garden um, which is one of the larger community gardens in, in Dorchester, the neighborhood our church is based in and that I also live in. And um, the story is that, you know, some neighbors, it was an abandoned area. Some neighbors, you know, took over it and decided to remediate the soil and created plots. And then later on, they got, you know, larger grants and have been able to refurbish it. And now it actually has a meeting area, like in the center of the garden. So you walk in and there's, you know, plots all around you. And then there's this like gazebo in the middle where you can meet. And so we had church. Um, Mm. and it was beautiful. I, am not a member of that garden. I'm a member of another community garden, but I was able to bring, um, cherry tomatoes from, from my own garden. Um, and people were just like, wow, you know, this is just, they're so sweet, you know? Mm. And it, it just, um, one, it was just beautiful to be there. And I mean, in August, by August, you can see like everybody's tomatoes are in bloom and the garlic has just come out of the ground Mm. and um you know there's cabbage growing and there's collards and there's just so much going on and the garden is just in full bloom and the sunflowers are huge and blossomed and um and so we just took a moment to like we did a meditation we always started our, our service with meditation but we did a um sight um smell taste, touch, and hear meditation. Um, Mm. And uh, I grabbed a couple of sage leaves for everybody. Everybody had one sage leaf. And so we smelled it and we tasted it and we listened to the birds that were there. And just this reminder that um, there's just so much of the world that we think is important, but that is drowning out the natural world that that is a gift from God Mm. that has been here for centuries, for eons, Um, and that is amazing. It is amazing. Um, and taking a moment, um, for us to worship in the space and to say like, God created this, each part of it. And, and for many of us who are from indigenous traditions or, um, come from, from African traditions, particularly like sage and herbs and the role that that has played in people's lives and the 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 wisdom that's passed down and just taking a moment to just take it in mm. um and so it was just beautiful to like eat fresh tomatoes and have some watermelon and somebody made a pesto salad from the basil in her backyard and mm. just having the opportunity to just really savor and i yeah. think you know taking the time you know, a, a good uh, a pastor friend of mine talked about, you know, he, he read the scripture, taste and see the Lord is good. And then really said, like, let's just eat some strawberries. Mm-hmm. Let's imagine that that's what we mean. Like, that's what God is. Imagine the things that taste really good. Mm-hmm. Um, for anyone who has not had cherry tomatoes right off the vine, it ain't nothing like what you get in the grocery store. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. There is scrumptiousness to it that's amazing um last week we met at um at a a the the beach it's where the neponset river flows into the ocean so it's the estuary for our our community Mm. um and i had these cherokee green tomatoes which most people had never seen they're an old heirloom 
with a little olive oil and some salt and pepper and we just ate them and they were juicy and they were, you know, and, you know, I really believe that there's so many beautiful things that God has given us that we have overlooked in our mechanized food system and our rush to get everywhere faster and the constantly looking at our cell phones we miss. Most people do not realize. I live right near the highway. It's actually one of the loudest neighborhoods and there are birds there. If you wake up in the morning at like six when the sun rises, just sit, I'll just open my window. They're there and they're talking. Um, So I think, you know, really, you know, I cannot advocate enough for the importance of spending time in nature and just opening your eyes and be like, wow, God, your sense of creativity is beyond what I could even imagine mm-hmm. you know and i i said to i was talking with one of my parishioners and you know she's going through you know some tough times and she's some, struggling with some family stuff and she was like you know everybody says you know draw closer to god but like how do you really do that and i said I, I there are many different ways but for me some of it is just sitting in the grass and being like i can't believe you did all this like i can't believe you thought of all of it my mind is blown by that, just by that fact. And um, I want to surrender to a God that thought of the beach. Would you have thought of it? Like, I don't know if I would have thought of the beach. <laughs> but I'm so thankful. Yeah, um, you know, so I think, I think um, really coming to love God. I mean, I think there's a heavy emphasis on like believing the right things and, you know, and I'm not knocking any of that. But for me, it's just about being in the presence. And when you really stop and slow down and surrender to the presence of God, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. Like when you get to really feel the breeze and and imagine that the Holy Spirit use that breeze to create you know when i think about water like something we cannot create and the fact that it's constantly being recycled and like maybe a water molecule that's in my body now was in my grandfather's body who knows it's possible maybe it was in a molecule this molecule was in the body of a filipino woman halfway around the world who knows there's this amazing cycle I'm just one person, but I get to be part of it. And that is such an awesome gift. So yeah, I don't think um, it's limited to food. I do, you know, I'm in a season where I'm, a lot of my harvest is coming in and I'm making fresh beans and I'm gonna have corn next week. My sweet corn's gonna be ready next week. I'm so excited. Um, But, but you know, people do come to my house and they're like, let me guess, this pesto's from your garden. And I'm like, yes, you know, like when you're able to (laughs) offer people, cucumber like pickles that you made there's something about that that's like it's just not the same I mean you know sorry to the people you know from the grocery store I'm not knocking you (laughs) but when you hand someone fresh tomato sauce that you grew that you pressed that you warmed for them Mm. there's just something about that Um, Mm -hmm. and the recognition um, that, of course, you didn't make the tomato and that there was a bee along the way and there were 
friends of yours in the garden who watered your plants while you were out of town. And all of that community also came together to make it possible. Um, I don't need to see, you know, some crazy miracle that's, uh, you know, a once in a lifetime. I see miracles all around me. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, what, what you just described is a very rich and very saturated, it almost feels like a dream. Um, and, and when you're able to like fully live into the moment, it's one of those things where like, wow, like I, I feel like I stepped into vacation. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's incredible. And um, yeah, I just, I love the way that, that you start with that gratitude. Um, mm. I think that's a huge component of being in the right place, being in the right center when we talk about stuff like climate change, which is so daunting and so difficult. But I think we can grow very cynical very quickly if mm. we don't start from a place of gratitude. And I think you've highlighted that beautifully. Um, and, and as we grow into that gratitude, we also recognize that like, we're pulled toward certain movements and we'll, we're pulled toward uh, a love for what we see before us and for what we partake in. And so I'm curious for you, you know, what would you recommend um, for people to get involved in in terms of the response to this gratitude? I mean, yeah. what, sort of, what sort of movements or people do we need to pay attention to? Yeah, so I find that people are constantly creating this, in my opinion, false dichotomy between personal transformation and change and collective action. We mm. absolutely need both. Mm. Like the, you can't ask someone else to be courageous if you're not doing it yourself. Mm. And mm. the only way that you will be able to push to the level of, of advocacy and action you want is to be deepening your own practice. That being said, sitting in your room and creating a fiefdom only in your own home it's not going to get it done, right? And so there's this push and pull between going deeper in our own practice and in our own lives around being more sustainable, being more loving to ourselves, to the planet, to the people around us, and how that manifests on a collective scale. So I just want to be very clear: it is both and, right? Mm. Um, and I, I, I am very intentional around practicing both. Um, but I do believe collective action is so important and is the solution to many of the things that we're struggling with. Um, and so two things I would say about this. So one, I do believe people should really get involved around um, climate change. I do know we're on a deadline and we need all hands on deck on this issue. And there's many different organizations that you can join. Um, I highly recommend ones that are pretty local um, because the where you will have the most powerful change is right in your own backyard, particularly in this moment where at the national level, um, our hope for climate action is not the best. <laughs> um, right. And so I think that that, you know, getting involved locally, everything from plastic bag bans to, you know, what kind of fossil fuel infrastructure is being proposed in your in your community to, you know, are you buying renewable energy? Are you put, you know, are you making sure that a renewable energy is affordable for everybody in your community? There's just the number of things you could work out. There is no lack of things to work on. And so what I will say for, for your listeners, as I say to my, um, my members is I actually believe one should practice some discernment because 
the truth is, if you really are excited, you could actually burn yourself out. I mean, you, if you want to yeah. find the cause, there's so many. And so I um, think a lot about what Howard Thurman said. And when somebody asked him, you know, like, what should I be doing? What's most important? And he said, um, don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes mm. you come alive because the world needs people who have come alive. Yeah. And so I believe that, you know, really seeking out what is mine to do in the world and what yours to do is probably an intersection of your passions, your relationships, like who you're connected to, um, and what's happening locally in your community, i.e. what other people are doing, right? Somewhere in the intersection between those three things, you will find what is yours to do. Um, and my experience is, if you really pray about it, God will not leave you, you know, hanging. You will not, I have never heard of anyone being like, you know, I spent years trying to figure out what was mine to do. I mean, my experience is too many things come in your path and you have to discern between those things. Right. Um, and so, you know, figuring out what is yours to do and then doing it um, deeply, continuing to follow the path, because what may start out with the community garden may lead you to the state house, may lead you to renewable energy, may lead you to work on immigration. I mean, you will find that the path is not a straight one. It is often winding or winding from your perspective in the sense that it takes you in directions you didn't necessarily expect. So I think, um, you know, again, people should really leave themselves open um, and then, you know, be careful, try not to do too much because burnout is real. I have experienced mm. it a few times in my life. Um, and you're not necessarily that helpful if you're pulled in so many different directions that you can't keep your, your word. Um, and, and where you start to resent the amount that you're doing because you're doing too much. Um, so, so really figuring out what is yours to do and then doing it with a level of commitment and passion and intensity until you're guided into a next direction, maybe a step up from what you're already doing, maybe in a, a side but connected issue. Um, yeah. Yep. Yeah, I love I love what you say about discerning what is yours to do, and it makes me think of, um, I have a friend, Yanni Burgos, who I knew when I lived in the Life Together Yes, she's also a friend of mine. <laughs> yes, she's an organizer for an amazing group called Mothers Out Front in Boston. And um, she shared a reflection through the an organization she worked with that was written by, ooh, I don't know her name. I'm going to have to look it up. But she basically wrote like a series of questions and a reflection on like, what she calls like a social change ecosystem and that we mm -hmm. all have different we all have different gifts and roles that we can play within that. And I loved it because I felt like it, it sort of offered, I mean, in a lot of the work I do with young people, like we talk about spiritual gifts and they're often phrased in these very classic, you know, there's like the gift of prophecy, there's the mm -hmm. gift of evangelism, there's a gift of tongues. And like, I think those are really, those can be really rich and like, how can we, frame those for different contexts and mm -hmm. in different when we're talking about different things and so for me reading this about the social change ecosystem was really getting at that and she talks about the role 
of storytellers and the role of caregivers and Mm -hmm. the role of you know frontline responders and it was so helpful for me because I think I've often struggled with I feel this deep call to faith and justice work I often see it demonstrated in one way and I'm glad to participate in that and I'm not always able to so what are the ways that I can also use other gifts that I have um and to like tell the young people I'm working with like justice looks like a lot of things yep um and you have gifts for it right now um so yeah I just really want to just want to echo your comment about like what is ours to do and what are what are the gifts that we already possess that God's given us to respond Um, yeah if if you're a young mom getting arrested may not be a good thing for you to do (laughs) you you need to if you've got to provide breast milk, <laughs> you cannot be 24 hours in jail. That's probably not a great idea. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, you know, so there's just like, there are different roles. And I think there have been problems in our movement where we have exalted some over others. Quite frankly, there are problems in our churches when we exalt some roles over others. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the scripture warns against that. And yet I see it so prevalent. Mm-hmm. Not only does it, you know, violate what sort of what God has told us, it, it, it means that some things that are very important don't get the resources that they need. It also makes us lopsided. Like we have 50 mm-hmm. people doing one thing and only two people doing another thing. And, you know, right. it's kind of like that doesn't make sense. Right. Um, and so I think, yeah, this this question of like what is yours to do is really important. Um mm. And I think we need to value the wide range of what it takes to make communities work. I mean, one of the other things I think that I find really challenging about a lot of social justice work, it, it, it's different. In the civil rights movement, many of the people that were engaging in these movements came out of communities that were rooted beyond this campaign. They came out of churches, they came out of neighborhoods, they came out of, you know, civic organizations Mm -hmm. who had a purpose bigger than just the Montgomery bus boycott or, Mm -hmm. um, you know, just the marches in Birmingham. That's not to devalue those marches. What I'm saying is they were communities that held people. Quite frankly, they held them in many instances from birth to death, right? Um, One of the things I think is lacking in our current social justice movements is a grounding in institutions and communities that hold people throughout their lifespan. It's why, you know, we're really thinking about how to create and to make church in a new way because, you know, many social justice organizations love them, but very few of them come together each week where we've got a four-year-old and a 40-year-old and a 70-year-old singing together. Mm. That doesn't, happen enough Mm -hmm. and we do that you know because we feel called to because it helps us think about who we're called to be but it also happens to be a better platform (laughs) on which Mm -hmm. to build a struggle that is long term and deep reaching if you've got to work on something that's going to take you 10 or 15 years you cannot build just on you know a slogan it is much stronger to build on a community of people who say, you know what? We've already chosen to be with each other for 50 years. 
So given five years to this, like what? You know? Um, and so I think, you know, I think it's really important in the world to also create communities because to be in a relationship because that's what we're called to do. And that's who we're called to be. And one of my sad um, concerns is that particularly younger folks um, are moving through lots of different communities, not knocking that, but how do you stay rooted mm-hmm. yeah. when, you, when you move six times in your life, when you stay in touch with most of your people online? I'm not knocking those tools. They, they don't necessarily make it easy for people to bring you casseroles when you have to get surgery. Right. And they may not ha- create a natural grouping of women to stand with you when you're having your first baby. Mm-hmm. And they probably um, will not have the cross-section of experience to help you understand when you're experiencing depression for the first time or when your romantic relationship in tr- is in trouble. The communities that hold us beyond an issue and even beyond an identity, I think these are communities we need much more of. Um, And I think they have been eroded. And some of it has been because the church has been a hot mess. Being, you know, the worst, you know, advertisement for Jesus I've ever seen sometimes. Um, But I think uh, we, we do need to, make a commitment to root more in communities that exist to be communities of love and holding and support and also can do the work of justice um, over the long term. Mm. Mm. Yeah, you have, wow, I'm just sitting in that because (laughs) Like the, the entire idea of this podcast is to be so intersectional and this is the most intersectional I think we've ever been. Um, Mm. and there's so much here, there's so much that we can take away from this conversation too, because it, for me, when I hear the word intersectional in the first place, like sometimes it feels like, oh my gosh, there's so much to do. This affects this thing. And I, it's so overwhelming and I can't figure it out. But like what you've just told us is that we're all gifted in certain ways and we can have an effect on one thing, which has an effect on another thing. Um, right. And it's, it's a ripple effect. And what's really beautiful about that is like, yes, it, it is intersectional. Yes, this is important but we can't be everything for everyone. And that's why community right. is so, so important. And you've just mm-hmm. you've touched on so much there. Um, and, you know, particularly when we think about climate change, um, sometimes we talk about it in theoretical terms. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but truly, I mean, we know that they, these are real lives and these are real communities, and these are real species at stake. And mm-hmm. we're only beginning to see the effects that are especially affecting vulnerable communities. And so in the midst of this reality and in, in the midst of this beautiful understanding of your, uh, of your community and what it means to be in community with the greater world, I mean, what gives you hope? 
you know, we're all connected, but, but what else gives you hope there? I mean, I think the reality, I go back to this idea of this awakening. We are connected, whether we like it or not. So then the question is, will we wake up to that and start acting like it? Will we just start embracing what is already true? And, and, you know, I, I, every day I get an email about, you know, climate news. So I am not unaware of the dire situation that we're in. I am very clear about it. And I would say two things or three things. First of all, I, I, um, I come from a long line of people who have lived through some really dire circumstances. This year, we remember the 400th anniversary of slaves arriving on these shores. <laughs> and those are my ancestors. I can't even imagine what it would be like to be captured in a war or captured and then walked to a boat. And then um, it's just the horror of it. And I think people need to spend some time really dealing with the horror of it. Yeah. And then the idea that they would come to what is often a for, was often a forced religion. Let's just be honest, Christianity, like it wasn't like it came at the tip of a spear most of the time. Mm-hmm. And yet they then find the Exodus story, which many slave masters actually try to take out of the Bibles they gave to <laughs> slaves. They actually would remove Exodus. Wow. But they right. find the Exodus story and they hold out hope not always for themselves some people did some people did you know revolt in the time but many people stole away and they prayed and they hoped and they um believed that my life would be better than theirs Mm -hmm. and that gave them hope even though they weren't gonna live to see it and so i that is just very alive in me. And I don't know how. It's not like I know all of their names. But um, I just imagine my ancestors, particularly my, my great-grandmothers, mm. being in a situation I can't even imagine and having a hope for the future. And I, I just don't understand how I, as someone with significantly more privilege, could be hopeless in light of that. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, I know that intersectionality has become like a popular phrase, but for me, it's, it's really about living into the fullness of who you are and what is. It's about yeah. stop, to stop ignoring the connections and to see them at the level of your DNA, at the level of your breath, at the level of your being, and just living in a way that acknowledges that. And so I, I know that if you did a calculated percent chance of the human's likelihood of survival given our current situation, it would be depressing. And my ancestors had hope. How could I not? Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think that God requires me to be successful, but God does call me to be faithful. Mm-hmm. And they were faithful to me, so I just have to be faithful to the next generation. Um, and, and sometimes I see, like, you know, when I look at, like, studying the civil rights movement in communities where nobody thought change was going to happen, and then it seemed like it, quote, unquote, just appeared when you really dig down and you talk to other people, there was just like these currents that finally broke through. When I look at the Me Too movement, you know, like, did anybody mm-hmm. not recognize that women were being sexually abused and assaulted? And like, I, I don't even know why people were acting surprised. Like, right. everybody mm-hmm. I know has a story. Like, I don't know a single woman in my life who's not been at minimum sexually harassed. But suddenly something that's been going on for centuries, for millennia, became wrong. Is it perfect? No. But we reached a tipping point where we woke up and said, enough is enough. Lots of work to be done. Lots of conversation about redefining masculinity. Lots of conversation about the gray air. There's so much more to be done. But it does convince me that we can wake up and say, no more. It is now time to shift. And so I hold out hope that before we have reached the precipice, we will wake up and say, no more. We've got to stop. We've got to change. And to be honest with you, my greatest hope is in our young people And I have seen that manifesting in such amazing and beautiful ways, particularly over the last year. Mm. There is no social movement where young people have not played a central role. And I see young people around the world stepping up. I go to all the climate strike, (laughs) you know, because when I'm there, I have hope in them. Yeah. Not just that they will do right, but that they will awaken what is in each of us to care for our young. It's there. It just needs to be activated. It's deep. It's, you know, a little dusty. (laughs) But that sentiment exists in each of us as human beings. Um, And so, you know, every once in a while, I take a, once a month, I take a day in silence. And some of the time what I just do is imagine what it will look like when we get it together. Imagine what it looks like for, you know, everybody to be growing slightly different things in their garden and exchanging them. Imagine what it looks like to have Thanksgiving dinners that are not a myth that we tell where the pilgrims really killed the Native Americans, but like are real. (laughs) Real Thanksgivings where people across race and class come together and bring the bounty of of their harvest. Mm. Like that and the idea of little, little kids running around in the backyard with, with tomato juice running down their face. Mm. Oh, I love that. That, mm. that is what I hope for. And it's super simple. And if we could get there, thanks be to God, we would be living out what I think we were called to all along. So I, I know there's a lot standing in the way, but there've been a lot of standing in the way before. And um, people with no reason to hope have held it out, have prayed, 
have sung, have fought, have marched, and it has come to pass. Um, and so I pray for the same thing. And I see little manifestations here and there. We are far away. I get it. I get it. I know how far away we are. Um, but I also know how tangibly close it could be if tomorrow we wake up and say, we don't have to live this way. Well, I think that's a wonderful place to close our time and just so much thanks for all that you've shared and so many beautiful connections and um, things to be challenged by and things to be grateful for. So thank you again, Mariama. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you. And, um, you know, blessings to you in the work that you're doing and the work of, of helping people um, to awake to wake into their senses. Some their taste buds can be a great place mm -hmm. to for awakening. Um, and so uh, really thankful um, to be with you today and uh, to be part of, of um, this is this this podcast, which is yours to do. Thank you so much. Also for the work that you do. I mean, it's so inspiring and, and so beautiful. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us at the table. We would love to hear from you. Let us know what you think by leaving a rating on iTunes. Or if you have show ideas, comments, or just want to reach us directly, send us an email at fully.yours.podcast at gmail.com. For today's show notes, our blog, and more, be sure to check us out at fullyyourspodcast.com. Huge thanks to Steve Dry and Catalyst of Harvard Epworth United Methodist Church based in Cambridge, Massachusetts for their generous grant funding of this podcast. Shout out to the talented Joel Adams and Melody Stanford Martin for producing the original song featured in this podcast. Also to Melody for our gorgeous logo design and to our dream team for keeping us grounded and inspired. Until next time, we are fully yours.